good to be here this morning with you guys. I, I want to do one little announcement. Um, I say it's a little announcement, but it's a big announcement. And the thing with it is, um, you know, we talked about it last week. It's one of those things to where we realize as a church we need to make announcements several weeks in a row for everybody to get it. And so how many knows that this was a lease purchase on this property? That's what we've done, a lease purchase. It wasn't like we went and got a loan and we bought the building, which would have been awesome. But when we found this building, guess how much money you guys had saved for a building? Zero, you know, because we just hadn't done that. There wasn't a, a push. Our place we're at was pretty good, and, and it was just time for us. But God showed us this. We came and presented it to you as a body. And within months, you guys had over $150,000 raised. Incredible. Within a year and a couple months, that has turned into almost a quarter of a million, a little over a quarter of a million dollars. Amen? Give yourself praise. Amen? I'm serious. That's incredible. And so with that, um, we were able to do the $150,000 down that we did with the building to the church that owns the building. And then we went into our monthly payment plan, and portions of our month go back into escrow for the future down payment. And long story short, we are ready to move on this. We were supposed to be ready by August 2017, so a whole another almost year from now. And if we could get it done by January 31st of 17, six months early, they were going to take $25,000 off, okay? That's exciting. Well, can I tell you something? We're not going to make it by January 31st. We're going to beat that by a month or two. Isn't that cool? And so basically everything's in play for us to get that over the next couple months. And so just exciting what God's doing. I want to thank you for that. But here's something. We want to still do one more push when it comes to fundraising, all right? And here's the reason why is because the group that we're getting our loan through, they would like to have as much as possible that we can put aside as collateral against our loan-to-value ratio. And so basically, they're going to allow us to come into this with very little out of pocket, then take the finances that we have that's extra, put it in an account that gains interest for a future project someday. Banks don't do this, guys. This is amazing to me, you know, but it's a Christian organization that we're working with in the Assemblies of God outside of Pennsylvania, this group that loans money. And, um, and so with that, we want to have as much finances to bear as we possibly can as we go into this next month. And so what we're doing on November 13th, everyone, <coughs> if you can, if you have not yet given to the building project, we want you to give sacrificially. Here's the thing, there's been people that have given 250,500, 1,000. There's been people that have given over 50,000, you know? And, and, and when you hear that, it's like, man, I was not one of those people, amen? I'm just being honest. That may not be my means, that may not be your means, but I want you to challenge your means and give as sacrificially as possible because this is your house. This is what God has provided for you. And we want you invested in the house God has provided for you, just like everybody else that's been invested. Well, Pastor, what if we have more money than we need? Never a problem. Right? So I want to tell you three things that we want to do. We have been like renters, in a sense, all these years since we started this ministry. And now we're going to be homeowners. How many know when you're a homeowner, there's expenses that you incur that you didn't incur as a renter? And so we want to be able to take some reserves and put it aside for facility repairs and things such as that. So that when a, a furnace or something goes down, uh, something like that will happen. You know, that's just part of life that we will have those funds to tap into. And it won't be us having to come here all the time. <coughs> hey, we need extra money for this or extra money for that. 
The second thing, we'd like to open up that foyer, the cafe area, how it's closed. We want to open that up nice and big so it's a nice big L-shaped kind of experience as you walk in. Just a little more open to the coffee, a little bit more for fellowship and that kind of a feel. So we'd like to be able to do that. That costs finances. And then that final thing, like I told you, they're wanting us to have some held in reserve as collateral for the future. Um, It's our money. It's just held in reserve. They can look at that as they can draw on that if for some reason we were to... uh, negate our our responsibilities, which you won't do. We've been doing incredible. And so, long story short, if you haven't given, all I want to say is on November 13th, dig deep. I'm serious. Give every bit that you possibly can. Make it hurt, because people for the last year and a half have done just that, and that's why you have the benefit of sitting right where you're sitting. Amen? Amen. So all those that have given, you don't have to say amen even louder, but, but you know if you've given, we want all the family invested. And so, praise the Lord. Can you give God praise just for the, 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 the miracle that this has been already? Amen? Amen. We are starting the fourth week of our freeway series. And if you've been journeying with us, we are looking at a pathway to freedom. And I just want to tell you right now, you know you've lit upon something that's making a difference when all hell breaks out. You, ever, you, ever, you know what I'm saying? I'm just, everybody say, say, all hell breaks out. I'm, I, I'm telling you, it, it, the last few weeks, man, I'm just people getting sick, marriages under fire. I'm just being, no, literally on fire. No, 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 but marriages going through it, folk in church going to jail. I'm being on, I mean, it's just been crazy in the last few weeks. And I really believe it's because of the nature of what we're going at. The enemy of your heart don't want you free, you know? He doesn't. God died for you. Jesus on the cross shed his blood that you might be saved. But he didn't just save you to get to heaven defeated and broke, busted, and disgusted. He saved you so that you could be one that can walk in deliverance and walk in healing and walk in victory and find what God has done in your life. And we've said this for the last few weeks, that whom the Son sets free, he is let me say it one more time. Whom the sun sets free, he is. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I don't know about you. There's things that I need to be free in. Amen? There's things that I need deliverance and victory, and I'm finding my health, and it's coming through walking through this pathway. you got to remember that we had this information as a staff a lot longer than you all have been hearing this, okay? And a lot of the reason why I'm working so hard on, on my health and eating right and all those things is because, I'll be honest, a year ago I knew I was going to be preaching this series, and I wasn't going to come up here and preach this series defeated. Just being honest, you know, waddle up here and pre- preach on being free. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and Jesus, this whole year has been, God, help me have that sense of awareness and help me have that sense of discovery. And today we're going to be looking at the subject of ownership. Help me to own this for myself, to be responsible for the things that I struggle in the area of addiction. And so this whole series, this whole goal of this thing is that we could be able to know who we were created to be by God, know that he has a love for us that's unconditional, and to find these six steps, these the six kind of part process toward freedom. And we're calling it a pathway of freedom or a, a free way. And so today, as we take the next step in this, We'll be looking at ownership, but let me recap real quick if you missed it. The first week was awareness, and the idea of awareness was that you, as you increase hurry in your life, 
what happens is you decrease awareness in your life. How many busy people you've run through stop signs before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just paid a $175 stinking ticket because of that. I'm, I'm, my brain's occupied. I'm not aware. And all of a sudden, oh, there's a nice cop car. Hey, pretty lights. Oh, no, I'm getting pulled over. I love what the guy said. He said, if you wouldn't have been so close to where I saw it happen right in front of me, I wouldn't have given you the ticket. And I'm thinking, well, if you wouldn't have seen it, I wouldn't have got pulled over. I think we should make a deal of some sort. I don't know. It was just a weird statement to me. It's like, yeah, but... But yes, yeah, so that idea of being hurried, it decreases your awareness. And you've got to slow down to go, God, what are you doing in my life, you know? So we talked about that. And then as you slow down, last week we learned that slowing down allows you to walk into that discovery process. And that that discovery process is an eyes wide open. Say eyes wide open. It's an eyes wide open process where there's wisdom to look back to the past to connect the dots. Why might I struggle with what I struggle? Remember me telling you last week about my mother, and I'm on my way home to Ohio, and I call her. We're almost home, Mama, and Mama says, oh, Ross Allen, I've been cooking all day. I've been cooking for we, you know, a few days for you, and I got four pies. And, and all I can think is, Mom, you're the devil, the devil with a wig on. Okay, she don't wear no wig, not now. Back in the day she did, back in the 70s, she had hair that was high and lifted up, and Aquanet filled the temple. I'm serious. It was. It was just raised up, and it was a beautiful thing. So, but that idea of wisdom, looking back, you know, and, and then the second thing, we saw that in the present, you've got to have courage, you know. That, I, that idea that, that, God, I don't want to face what I'm discovering. I don't want to see that what I'm dealing with is actually an addiction. I don't want to call it that. I'm better than addiction. But I'm not. This is just my personal story. And, and so you got to have courage to face that present. And then finally, to have faith for the future, to believe that God loves you, have faith to believe in his love, and to believe that he will heal you. When I say heal, I mean make you whole whatever that issue is in your life. And so that's what we've been looking at. And then today, as you discover all those things, what happens? You can choose to close your eyes again and run away like Adam and Eve did, or you can choose in that moment <coughs> to have ownership. You can choose in that moment to maybe blame others, or you can choose in that moment to make it your own. This is my thing. This is what I've got to be responsible to deal with. And so I'm going to take personal responsibility for the things in my life. Now listen, I'm going to lose some of you guys today as I talk about this, all right? It's just going to happen. Um, there's some, as I preach today, you're going to say, I, I'm out. You know, Ross, I want freedom. I just don't know if I want it that bad. Or maybe you'll say, I, I just can't do this. So there might be some pushback from you. I, I get that. I've been pushing back for a long time, you know, usually from the table after eating mass quantities. But I've been pushing back for a long time. And last week, if you weren't, if you're a guest today, I'm joking a little bit about the weight thing. But it, it's not funny, you know. I mean, it is funny. But it's like people will look at me and go, well, it's not an issue. No, no, it's a huge issue. It's a huge issue. I've been fighting it for a long time. And believing, and this is probably how you feel if you're struggling with addiction, believing this is the last time. This is it for the rest of my life. This is it. Getting my health back, and this is it. But then if I'm like, if you're like me, back in the recesses of your mind, you're like, is it? Is it it? How many years of sobriety and then a failure? How many years of not dealing with lust, and then next thing you know, that girl, whew, how many years 
you haven't taken anything, and now it's just a little thing. And How many years of not allowing that lie that was spoken over to you by your father or mother or ex-boyfriend or ex-husband, and now all you can think about is that lie? That's scary, isn't it? That's scary. And so with that, I believe a lot of this change as we come through discovery, it comes into the area of ownership. And some of us, we won't want to do that. Why? Listen, because we love to judge and blame others for the stuff we deal with. Don't we? I, I don't know about you. I, for me, I love to think I'm right when I'm wrong. Or at least I try. My pastor used to say it this way. I love what my pastor used to say. He would say that the mind is never more creative than when it's trying to justify sin. Man, I love my pastor. Isn't that crazy? You're never more creative when you're trying to figure something out and blame others or, or not have ownership in a sense. And so, I mean, I can give you this example. If you're driving down the interstate state, and you're driving slow and everybody around you scoff their horn, beep, beep, because you're driving slow, you're like, what's wrong with you people? You're crazy people, you know. But now you're driving and a guy goes, shoom, right by you. Why are you an idiot? You know, it's, it's, it's always some, the speed you drive at is absolutely perfect all the time. Isn't it true? I'm serious. The lane you're in is exactly the lane you should be in all the time. Sometimes it's not. But it's just how we are as humans, you know. And so this condition in our lives, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. And as we do here at Momentum, if you would stand to your feet. We're going to read a little from the Word of God this morning. This human condition to want to blame goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. It's just part of our, 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 our DNA, if you will, okay? It's part of who we are. And, and I'm going to be honest, this subject of ownership, this, this one's probably my hardest out of the six, all right? And Amy can attest to this because this is the one I struggled with most in our early marriage. This is the one I struggled with most in my early ministry. I couldn't be wrong. I couldn't mess up. If I, if I messed up or if I was wrong... It would just devastate me. And so I always had to put blame onto somebody or something else. Because somehow if I could do that and not own the responsibility of it, I felt better in the midst of that. It's one of the ways we deal with stress. It's not healthy. We'll put blame in a situation, you know. We just, this is on you. This isn't me. Amy and I, early on in marriage, I can't tell you how many times you did this, woman. That doesn't bode well. Okay, I'm telling you. And so we see here, number one, the first point, if we're going to be able to have ownership or move forward, we've got to understand this. Taking ownership means I stop blaming God and others for my circumstances. Okay? All right? Let, let, let's read this passage in Genesis chapter 3. It says, we'll go to verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the trees that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So for food, so when the, the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I have said so many times, that's probably the saddest verse in the Bible. That the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. It's the presence of the Lord that has everything. We should never hide ourselves from him. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Let's pray. Father, I ask that today you would just guide us in our conversation together, Jesus. Lord, set us free by truth. Lord, God, allow us not to be those that would push off blame, but let us embrace with responsibility everything that we face and deal with. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have your seat. <coughs> this, in nature, this innate nature of man to blame, we have seen that in our own children. Amy and I have five kids, and every one of those kids, we have taught a lot of stuff, you know. I've taught Grant how to skateboard. I've taught Grant, you know, many things. We've taught the kids how to camp. We love to camp. We've taught the kids how to fish. Um, we've taught them how to do laundry and, and feed the dog. Mac feeds the dog. Listen, parents, this is, a hype, this is a parenthetical insert. Make your kids do stuff. All right? I'm just being honest. You've got to give them girls of yours to a man someday. Don't hand them a brat, you know, that doesn't know how to do anything. Just being honest, you know. In the same way with them young men, you know, Matt, he feeds the dog every day and waters the dog and lets the dog out. Why? Because that used to be Grant's job, but Grant mows the lawn. I'm not mowing the lawn. I'm serious. I'm not, I'm, no, I got a boy that's husky and strong, and when he's gone, I'll have another boy that'll be husky. And, and then when he's gone, hopefully I'll make enough I can hire me somebody. I've mowed lawns since I was 10 years old. Man, a few years ago, I'm done, you know. And so I'm just saying, we taught our kids a whole lot of stuff. One thing we never taught our children was how to blame. They were good at it. Natural born blamers. Little Arden isn't even two yet. She'll be two in January. And if something happens, you can see her pointing at Mac and trying to let us know Mac did it or Molly did it, the dog. I mean, she's not even two. She's brilliant, you know, but that's just innate in our nature to blame. It's how we cast off that sense, you know, and so we, we, we've never once been taught how to do it. It just comes natural to us, and in Genesis chapter 3, we see why. It's in our spiritual DNA, if you will. It's in our, our bloodstream, you know, and people, I love this, people have made observations for years when they've looked at this scripture, and we're going to look at a few observations, okay, that are, are serious, but one observation that people have made that I think is just kind of funny, for the woman, it took the serpent to be deceived, right? But for the man, all it took to be deceived was one naked woman, that's all it took. <laughs> that's, that's funny right there. But, <laughs> but what I'm saying, though, is just, it's in our family 
tree. It's in our, our, it's in our DNA just to blame, you know. Adam blames Eve, and Eve blames the serpent. That's what we do. And, and what it is is this. It's like we try to minimize our guilt by making others look bad. That's what we do. We try to minimize our guilt by making others look bad. And so I want to show you a few things about this, though, because to be honest, there was some truth in what both of these people said, right? Both of them, in a sense, told the truth. When Adam said, the woman gave me the apple, was he telling the truth? Well, yeah, he was. And when Eve said, the serpent deceived me, was she telling the truth? Yes, yes, they were. But both of them were making excuses as a means of avoiding personal responsibility. So yeah, that was truth, but it was an excuse so they didn't have to embrace the full weight of the responsibility on themselves. And as long as Adam could blame Eve, he didn't have to feel too bad about himself. And as long as Eve could blame the serpent, she could be the innocent victim in this whole thing. But God had told them something, and they disobeyed God, and the fruit of feeling naked and ashamed rests solely upon their shoulders. And there's a lot of truths that come out of this passage, okay? So I want to walk down through a few bullet points. We'll throw them on the screen, okay, just all at one time, all right? And so here, here they are. The tendency to blame others is deeply ingrained in human nature. We can see that in those 13 verses so clearly. Number two, left to ourselves, we'll do anything to avoid taking personal responsibility for our actions. Number three, blaming others is often nothing more than a subtle twisting of truth in order to take the heat off of ourselves. And then finally, without a deep working of the grace of God within us, we will do exactly what Adam and Eve did, right? I want God today to start a deep, deep work of grace within us. Amen? Here's the thing. There's a word that we can use that Adam and Eve would kind of probably call themselves or, or, or speak over themselves. And in our culture, we use this word a lot. And the word is this, victimization. Right? Victimization. And what that is is you constantly blame others for what's going on in your life. And, and so some of you are going to push back when I say these things, and listen, we're going to get to there, because there's people in this room that things were done to you that should have never been done to you, and that is the whole reason why you're facing the junk you're facing right now, wasn't by any fault of your own, so please don't sit there and think that when I'm saying you need to take responsibility and not blame, you need to take ownership, that I'm discounting what you've been through if it was no fault of your own, we're going to get there, everybody say we're going to get there, all right? But before we get there, let's talk about some other things. Is that okay? Some are going to push back because we need to hear this, but, man, we don't want to hear these things. Things like, I've been treated unfairly, and so that's why I do what I do. That's how I act the way I act. I, I got the short end of the stack, you know, when it came to this or it came to that. I remember a bitter preacher that I would hang out with all the time back in Ohio, and, and he was just bitter, and he would say, well, no wonder yours, your and pastor's church has grown so much. This is in Ohio. No wonder you guys this or you guys that, but me, I don't have this gift. You don't have this talent. I, no, no, you golf three times a week. You've got 30 people in your church, and you go golf in 18 holes every time, three times a week. You're golf, did I say he golfed three times a week, okay, and, and I'm not, if you golf three times a week, that's fine, I'm not going to condemn you for that, but this man didn't have a business 
golfing three times a week. And one day I went to golf with him. I didn't realize he was golfing that much. And the golf lady, that's not what they're called. I don't know what they're called. The woman that takes your money, she, she, it was free because we're preachers. And as he walks away, I'm like, it doesn't cost. No, it doesn't cost. You guys are pastors. And I could see it on her face. And so when he went to the restroom, I'm like, let me ask you, how many times is he in here? And she told me. Does he ever bring anybody with him? No. That's why old, back in the day, golf clubs would do that. Preacher comes, he brings some board members. Preacher comes, he brings some businessmen. Preacher comes, it's called a foursome, and they make some money. But not this guy by himself where he brought me. And so I'm like asking, like, can I pay you for my, I feel horrible about this, you know. But somehow in his mind, his church wasn't growing because he didn't have the, he was short in the stack. He didn't have the giftings, the talents, the this, the that. Your church isn't growing because you're not taking any time loving on your people, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. If you golf 12 hours a week, I'm happy for you. You do it, you know. I'm just saying there's sometimes in life you, that's not the best expenditure of time at the time, right? Just like going to the buffet wasn't the right expenditure of time for me. I get it. You've been here so long. Four hours. You go now. You know. You eat so much. You leave right now. You know, I understand, okay? The Lord just is like, you're pointing fingers and you got all these, ooh. All right. So, <laughs> I, I was dealt a lousy hand, you know. Maybe, maybe some of you blame your parents. They got divorced, and so because of that, you don't know how to have a healthy relationship. And maybe you're a wife and you blame your husband because he just doesn't know how to communicate well. And so we always end up in this spot because he doesn't communicate well. If he could communicate better, you know, my wife won't submit. And she says, well, he won't love. Well, we're supposed to love and submit. Who starts first? And so there's all this blaming that goes on, you know. But, Ross, you don't understand. My wife takes everything out of proportion. No, I understand. I have a wife like that, too. But guess what? Every man in here has a wife like that. Welcome to reality, okay? You didn't marry some movie weird, unreal fantasy. Half the time, <laughs> Jeff, that was awesome, just like I did. All the men in the house, listen. That was awesome. <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> let's bring it home to church, all right? So let's get it out of the family for a second, bring it to church. You know, m m my family, we're not growing at church, so the church must not be doing a good enough job. You know? That one, I, everybody got quiet on that one. I thought that was excellent. I thought that was, a, that was one of my favorite ones. <laughs> You know, we blame the church maybe for not having community. You know, I don't have any community in my life. I don't have any fellowship. Journey groups going on all the time. I don't even know how many ministry teams we have at this church, you know, but there's just no place for me to connect. Really? Really? No place to connect? Ministry team after ministry team after ministry team. Uh, journey group after journey group after journey group. Okay, I'm going to leave that one. These, those are fun, but I'm going to leave them there, okay? How about this one? This is great. We blame the government. That everything is going wrong. You know? It's billery. I know it. You know? I'm serious. It's mumps. I was trying to do a melonica. Yeah, okay, whatever. But still, you know, it's all I know is pray, people, pray. Pray and go vote and pray. And after you vote, pray some more. And for the next four years, intercede like never before. I'm serious. No matter what happens, it's going to be entertaining the next four years. So, out of 316 million people, really? Really? 
I'd vote for Jeff Noble. Jeff Noble for president. I'm serious. All right. But pray, pick one, and pray. That's, 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 my, that's a great political model. Pray, pick one, pray. That's, that's this, this season. All right, praise the Lord. If that offended you, I'm sorry. So um, maybe work, you know. It's like I would have got that report in if Robin Accounting would have got me the statistics I needed to get the report in. And because Rob didn't do his job, I couldn't do my job. But that kind of line is kind of consistent in your life, you know. And eventually you find yourself losing a job. But it's not my fault. You know what? I just can't, you know, it's unreasonable the culture they're trying to create in that place. It's never your fault, you know. He just doesn't understand what's going on in my life and this and that and so on. Can I give you a fun fact? Everybody say fun fact. Fun fact. You have had a different job. If you have had a different job like every two, maybe three years for the last 20 years, all right, um, and every time you leave, that place is miserable to work for. Those people are just this and that. and they, It may not be them. Okay? Just own that. And that can go for marriage too. You're into the fourth or fifth one. Maybe not the other person. Maybe not, okay? In Ohio, I had a lady, she was going to go on to her fourth marriage. She called my administrative assistant. I would like for your pastor to marry us. Now, they didn't go to our church, and I do marry people outside the church at times. And, um, and so we would like for her, her not to marry me, to do the wedding. And so, um, so we, I wasn't going to be your fifth, all right? And so we would like for him to marry us. And, and my, my admin said, well, Pastor Ross won't marry you unless he has the opportunity to do at least four to five counseling sessions. The woman said this. As the Lord is my witness, she said, well, I've been married four times already. I, I don't need counseling. I just need somebody to do a ceremony. Are you, are you kidding me? Here's your sign, you know. <coughs> so if you're the common denominator in a lot of those situations that we just kind of talk to, we got to own that. It might just be us, you know. I mean, since you, you feel like, hey, I, you're always failing on your homework and you're blaming that your roommate took your book and this happened and that. But it's always something. You're always, it could be you, right? If you get angry and it's never your fault. Well, that person was provoking me. You may deal with anger issues, you know. If a relationship ends and it's not your fault and every time that happens, you're the normal, healthy one. And the other person, they're just weird and they have a lot of issues, you know what I'm saying? It's always like that. Every day in relationship and so on, it might just be you. You know what I mean? So that, that, that's hard, but that's ownership. And so if any of that sounds familiar, it should because that's us. That's the human nature. I'm not just saying it's you. It's me. It's us. It's what we do. We are hardwired to blame. We're hardwired to be a victim. And we shout the battle cry of victimization. And you all know what it is because you've heard it since you were little. You out of your own mouth, you hear your children say it. It's not my fault. Right? Yeah, yeah. That, that, that battle cry of victimization. Here's what the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand that heart, you know? And most of us, we don't want to take personal responsibility for the things that happen in our life. But if we're going to find freedom, if we're going to really walk that pathway of freedom, we need to step through that place of ownership and stop blaming God and stop blaming others for our circumstances. We have to do that. And as I say that, like I said earlier, there's going to be pushback, and here's why. You may be thinking, Ross, 
are you saying that I need to take the blame for everything that's happened in my life? Please look at me. No. No. That's not what I'm saying. You do not have to take the blame for everything that's happened in your life. In fact, some of you are really serious victims of some serious abuse. Lies that were spoken over you. Men that left you. Women that cheated on you. Money that was taken from you. Whatever it might be. Some of you are truly victims. In fact, can I just be honest with you? Because of Adam and Eve, sin makes victims of us all. Every one of us in this room has been victimized at times because of sin. Sin loves to rob, steal, kill, and destroy. That's what sin does. That's what the enemy does. And so, yeah, I'm not trying to minimize what you've gone through because some of you have been hurt in horrible ways. But listen, I want to make sure that you hear this clearly. The second thing, don't, don't blame God and don't blame the circumstances. The second thing is take ownership, taking ownership. It means it may not be my fault, but it is my responsibility. The way you go from here to there after that victimization or after that point of injustice is your responsibility. And it's not an easy road, especially if there's been abuse, you know. There's women in this church that have been raped. No, that wasn't your fault, sweetheart. It wasn't your fault. But how you've dealt with that for the last 20 years or 30 years, at a point you've got to take responsibility and let the Lord bring the healing that you need. Does that make sense? And I don't want this to be hurtful by any means. There are some things that have happened to me in my life that are not my fault, but how I choose to deal with that and how I respond to that and how I move forward from that injustice is always my responsibility. It's always your responsibility. And so the problem is some of us would rather in a lot of those situations, especially when it's things around the house, okay, we'd rather be right than be better, you know. Some would rather be justified than be healed, holding the line, you know. Some would rather assign blame than to actually walk that pathway of freedom. And when I think of Amy in my life, Amy and I, we have a perfect marriage. She looked at me. Okay, let me be a little bit more accurate, okay. We don't have a perfect marriage. Amy and I have a perfecting marriage. It's not perfect. It's a perfecting marriage. I'm married to her, and she's perfecting me. No, but... Amy and I will get frustrated about things in our marriage, and my response is diversionary. It always is. And, it's, and I'll say things like this. Well, at least I don't do this, and the this is always some other situation or some other relationship or some other preacher that failed, or I'm just being honest. And she'll say, really, is, is that your comparison? That's what you, because I want you to be like Jesus, you know. But is that, is that what you, so it's diversionary. You know, we're having an issue, and I'm dealing with it, but, but at least I'm not like this. And I love that she's helping me to become a better person. You know, I want to, I'm wanting to be judged, and I'm wanting to be found to be okay, instead of really wanting to be healed. There's a difference there. And wanting to be changed. I, don't, I just don't want judgment. And yes, okay, you're fine. If I'm not, I want healing. I want to be changed. I've seen several accidents when I've been on my motorcycle. Like up close and personal accidents, right there, right in front of me. And um, one accident that I saw happened, it was a, um, a, a young kid texting and driving. And I drive by him and I see him on a steering wheel. I mean, he is zoned out. And I can see car lights turning red in front of him. So I slow down because I know if he realizes it, 
he's going to pull into my lane and kill me. And, and if you've ever heard a horn on a bike, it's not, it's not really that cool, you know. I'm just being honest. So I knew that's like a big bike, you know. So, so I just pull back and just, Lord, please help that kid. Because he has his head down, he's texting. And all of a sudden, pow, he just slams into all these cars. And I go right by him. As I go by him, I see his airbag, boom, inflate, and his head hit it. And, and, um, and so I do a U-turn to come back because I'm, I'm a real close witness to what just happened. And, um, and when I get there, he says, oh, I don't know what's going on. I've been sick, and I just think I passed out. No, you liar. I saw what you were doing. So we waited for the police to came and gave the police report. But in that situation, quickly you could tell it was fender benders, you know. And I said, somebody call the police, you know. My phone, I, it was in the saddlebags, all that kind of stuff. And so they call the police. So there's a difference between just saying call the police, okay. Um, the next accident I saw, I'm at a light, and I'm this lane here over on um, Bell's Ferry, and this guy's in a, a, a nice black car, and he's coming through real fast, and a red truck comes this way, and they have the green light. That's why I'm seated at this, seated at this light, and this guy just, as soon as I see him coming, I get my bike, and I go into this neighborhood, like right here, because I'm thinking if he, if he um, realizes this too, men, too late, he's going to hit me, you know, and so I get away from it. Boom, truck just explodes with smoke, and, and it was horrible. And this old guy gets out and blood's in his head, and, and already another car's helping him, and I'm carrying this lady out because and, and, the car's smoking. We don't know if it's going to explode. And I get her laid in the grass, and the first thing I say is call an ambulance. I didn't say call the police. Not that the police aren't important, but we need help here. I don't need a judgment here. I need healing here, you know, call an ambulance, you know, and, and then again, that guy's looking for the policeman, because he feels like it was green, or red, and wasn't red, and it was clearly, clearly uh, an accident on his part, but long story short, what I'm getting at is, they're kind of the same, in the sense that they're both accidents, but they're different in the sense that the one you call the police, because you're wanting judgment, the other you call an ambulance, because you're wanting healing, and I think a lot of times, when it comes to this blaming thing, all you're wanting is a judgment, you're just wanting somebody to go, you're right, you're not that bad, I understand because of your past. Guys, I'm sorry if this offends you a little bit today. I could care less if the police show up on the scene of your situation and make you feel better or worse about being blamed or not. You know, I want the ambulance to show up. I want God to show up and start to bring healing to you. Does that make sense? And so we're not calling on the police today. Blame doesn't need to be assigned. Healing needs to be attributed. You call the ambulance when somebody's hurt. And in other words, I believe you're hurt today. And so in other words, your desire to assign blame, if you're just blaming, is greater than your desire to get healed. In Scripture, there was a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he, he knew that he'd already been there a long time. He said to him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. Now the question when Jesus asked, do you want to be healed? Of course the man wants to be healed, you would think. It wasn't that Jesus was insulting his, his intelligence by asking this. He was wanting to know, do you want to get well? Because it's entirely possible that this man doesn't want to get well. He's probing the level of the will. He's wanting to know, what do you want, invalid man? What do you want? Do you want to be made whole? Because Jesus has the power to make you well, but he's not going to exercise that power until you decide you want to be well. If I make you well, things are going to change. They just do. 
And maybe you don't want things to change. And so what Jesus is saying is, if I make you well, guess what? You won't be a beggar anymore. Is that okay? That's always been your identity. You've always been marked with this identity of a victim, you know? Can you get past that? And Jesus is wanting to know. There's a price to pay for getting healed. There's a price to pay for getting healthy. Let's stand to our feet as we close. So Jesus is asking him, do you really want to get better? And if yes, healing can take place. And so that's a fair question. That last thing is this. Taking ownership means that you're willing to pay the price to be free. I ask you, do you really want to be free? Do you? I know we say that we want freedom and health in our life. We want Jesus to make us well. But if you get that, there's a price to pay. The price that you'll have to pay is that you'll have to give up your job as an injustice collector. A lot of times when we're struggling with addictions and wrongdoings, we just played over our minds, over our minds, over our minds, over our minds. That injustice, this is why I do this, this is the reason why I struggle, and we're just constantly, and God wants to bring healed, but healing with us, but at that moment, we've got to stop collecting all this injustice, how things have been, how things have mistreated you. We've got to give up looking at this world as if, if it's, it's always hostile and unfair to us. And so with that, you'll have to give up your grudge. And for some of us, our grudge is our identity. I like my little grudge. I, I pet my grudge. I feed my grudge. But my little lion that's a grudge is growing into a roaring thing that's taking control of my life. Because that's how the enemy is. Let's close our eyes for just a moment. And so I ask you today... Will you allow God to show you where you need to take ownership? Whether it was something that you fully embraced yourself or something that you were victimized by, how will you be responsible to take the next step? Being here today is a part of that. You know our attendance has dipped since we went into this series? It just has. Why? I knew it would. It's dipped because there's folk that I believe are going, I don't want any part of this. I'll come back in Christmas time when we talk about baby Jesus. I like baby Jesus. He's fun. He's cute. He's cuddly. You know? And so I'm proud of you for being here. That's one part. There's others getting in the journey group. That's another part. All that's just owning and taking responsibility. But, but Ross, I'm scared. There's only one thing I know of that can give you the courage to rise above the hurt and the guilt and the shame and to begin taking ownership. And that's just knowing that God loves you. And that he has a way out for you. And so my question for you this week is, in your life, has your focus been on calling the police and assigning blame? Or are you ready to finally call the ambulance and get the help that you need? So God, I ask right now as we close, help us to take ownership and responsibility. Not so that we are overcome with guilt and shame, but so that we can begin to experience the healing that we so desperately need as we process through this pathway to freedom. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.